The game of basketball has taken us places we can never imagine. For winning four EuroLeague titles, playing six years in five countries, and making connections with people from all around the world. We have stories that can last a lifetime. All right, now it's time to tell yours. When I met Michael Jordan for the first time, and still to this day, if I see him, he's he's glowing. It just came down to, like I said, looking myself in the mirror, like, brother, you really do you want to play ball or not? I've never been in an environment like Euroleague, because you know, living over here in Europe, bro, how we kings over this time, bro. Denver Thuggets. <laughs> Appreciate y'all having us on here. This is Hoop Tales. Today on Hoop Tales, we have one of the most decorated guards in European basketball history. A two-time EuroLeague champion, a four-time Russian Cup champion, and a nine-time Russian League champion. He's also a member of the EuroLeague's 2000-2010 All-Decade team and currently serves as Director of Personnel for the Brooklyn Nets. The one and only J.R. Oden. What's up, J.R.? Oh, I'm good, man. I appreciate the love. I thought you was talking about you when you first started. I just said you got to the end. So you got to the end and you said, now I'm working in Brooklyn. I, I thought we was about to talk about you. Nah, man, you know, you you laid, you laid the footsteps, man. You know, we just try to we just try to follow your path, man. You the trailblazer. Hey, I appreciate blazing the trail. I see you just, you could, you created your own trail. You got a whole path now. I'm like, man, I'm like, shoot. I thought I was going to have a lot of love for a long time, and then you came and just kicked the door in. Nah, I'm like, bro. I don't even know if they know my last name in Russian. Oh, no man. <laughs> man. Come on. Just kicked the door in. Yeah, crazy. Oh, man. It's going to be fun now. So, so first off, you know, how how are you and your family doing during this time? You know, where are you at right now? Um, and you know, kind of like, you know, take us through the timeline, you know, you know, how are you doing with this whole you know, COVID nineteen situation? Honestly, everything is good right now. Uh, I live in Detroit, Michigan, in, in the suburbs of Detroit, and um my wife is from here, so the family's been great. It's 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 one of those things where for us as as players, you know, getting to spend this type of time around your family for consistent right. 30, 40 days in a row is unheard of for yeah. us. Um, so actually getting this time at home, man, and seeing the little kid, seeing my kids grow up, my 13-year-old, my six-year-old, just every day for 30, 40 days has just been different, but it's been a blessing. So but all the negative stuff that's going on, it's been a blessing just to be able to spend time with the family. Now we, we're gonna need your prediction. Um now we put put on your commissioner's hat right now. Do you see the uh, the NBA returning um, during the season? Now, can I flip this and say, do you see the Euro League returning uh, uh, this season? I mean, I'm 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 I want to be optimistic, honestly, but like I, you the commissioner I, now, you can't be optimistic. <laughs> I need I need you to say what it is. I'm gonna give you mine, but you can't. They already pinpointed saying that they're going to do it in one venue. And my whole thing is, like, there's no way to kind of um, pr protect the players, protect everybody. Like, they would literally have to test everybody every single day. They would test, you know, everybody in the hotel, you know, everybody that comes to the arena, every player. And then we got to literally kind of be quarantined in that hotel. You know, you know how it is as a player. Like, you can't keep 
you know, guys quarantined in one, you know, one place for that amount of time. So I just think for safety reasons, I think it would just be irresponsible on everybody's part, um, you know, as they continue. I mean, I, I think that, you know, we should just, you know, deal with most important, and that's people's health. Like, people are losing their lives right now. So I think right now we deal with that and then, you know, focus on what may happen next season, in my opinion. Right. Uh, I... I'm going to do what you say. I want to be optimistic. Uh, but I think it's one of those things where the NBA does, you're talking about billions of dollars. So I right. could see it possibly making it happen, at least a playoff. Um, I think there's a lot of things behind the scenes that we don't know that there may, they may be able to test and have tests maybe quicker or faster. Uh, I think being in the NBA and, because you're talking about billions of dollars, they might be able to really be able to enclose it. That's like staff, I'm thinking sheer trainers. So you don't have to have everybody got their own trainers, but like kind of make it smaller, yeah. but at one venue. And if you lock it down, I won't say it will happen, but I think there's a lot better chance of that happening in the NBA because there's so much more money involved. Right. I think the EuroLeague, just the risk of, you know, my biggest thing is like the risk of somebody catching it and really dying or being sick, and that right. small thing can change the, the change the landscape of European basketball, right. and change the last landscape of the NBA. It'll all be seen different if an older coach, like I'm thinking, like Greg Popovich is older, Mike D'Antoni or older, though somebody like that gets sick and yeah. it just go bad, it could really affect just the culture of, of what we what, what sports has brought brought to everybody. We got to jump into your early days, man, growing up in Pittsburgh. Let's talk about what it was like coming up in Pittsburgh and uh, when you first started playing the game of basketball. I, I probably grew up just like y'all grew up, man. Seriously, you don't know what you have because everybody in your area has the same thing, right? Like, I didn't know, like, I, I didn't have a lot of money or whatever. All my friends, we all hung out, did the same things. Um, we didn't have all these games and phones like they do now. So to me, we grew up outside. So growing up outside, I think you just have a different, uh, a different feel for basketball, a different grind, a different mentality. So like everybody else, we grew up outside. You don't just play basketball. Y'all play football on the street. You play stickball with baseball. You throw it off, the, you know, playing with the tennis ball off the steps. We did all that too. So for me, I probably really didn't get into basketball probably until I was like 12. But I always played. Like, I probably was six years old, just would shoot, go down to the playground. I lived on a street called Franklin. And it's like, they called it the good half was like up the street and the bad half was down the street. So you got <laughs> drugs and everything on the bottom half of Franklin. And up at the top, it was just more like, just family, more family oriented up top, I would say. So to me, it was just like having the best of both worlds. So I, I, I don't feel like I grew up like disadvantaged or anything like that. I think I, I feel like I grew up in a, a good neighborhood where people cared about each other and everybody on the street was your parent. You know how that goes? You yeah. acting up, the parent down the street gonna land to you. So, you know what I mean? Like, that's how I feel like I grew up. Nah, that's dope, that's dope. You had a uh, basketball idol? Basketball idol? Uh, probably the first person I started really loving was Isaiah Thomas. Mm -hmm. um, I like Kenny Anderson. Um, I fell in love with Rod Strickland as I got older, but as a as a young person, I would probably say Isaiah Thomas was like the first dude that I was like, he's little like me, and I think I could be that. Like, I see Jordan and all this now, and you have a certain respect for all these guys that are bigger, but 
I'm a little dude, so I was trying to be like somebody that looked like that was my size and could do the things I thought I would be able to do one day. Now walk us through your your prep career, your, your high school career. Um, you know, talk about you know you you started out um, at the at the local school, but then you end up transferring to the, a military school. That's correct. Um, talk about that. You know, the reason yeah. why like you decided to uh, you know transfer to to the military school. And then talk a little bit more about like your your whole recruiting process and when you kind of figured out that you know that you were you know a, a D one prospect. Oof! Wow. So growing up in Wilkesburg, like that's all I knew. So yeah. I played football for something called like the Mighty Mites or the Midget Football. How y'all? Yeah. That's what it's called now, the Midget League. Yeah. Well, there was this a school called Lindsley in Willing, West Virginia, that only came up to recruit kids for football out of the inner city and bring them down there. So the year before that, there was two kids from close to my area named Rasheen Hill and uh, Marcus Buford. They went down there. I guess they ain't like it. Next year, they was back. Like, I ain't going to the Willie, West Virginia, dog. Like, I'm not with it, right? <laughs> like, I mean, no, no, no disrespect to Willie, West Virginia. I'm just saying, like, it wasn't for them. So they came back up the next year, and um, me and a kid named Aaron Moore were the two people they were looking at to go play football down there. And for me, I don't know about y'all, but if you go down there, they like, oh, you got to wear a shirt and tie, and you got to wear I'm like, I don't even got no money for no shirt and tie. Like, uh, no, I ain't uh, trying to go to no school like not this. Not at right? all, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, my mom, so my mom, she was real interested in the school, though. So we went down there, me, Aaron, his dad, and my mom, we went down, and we took the test, and it was like an entrance test. And I guess at these schools, they basically tell you like, okay, you can start in this grade or that grade. So honestly, I went down and I wasn't even trying to pass the test. Like literally, I was just putting anything. <laughs> they were like, um, you may have to move back a grade. So my mom, <laughs> <laughs> like, back, back, backfire. <laughs> <laughs> so my mom was like, he can't go there if he's moving back a grade. Like that's not possible. He can't. You know, I'm not moving them back a grade. So actually, they fooled me. I was at Wilkesburg, and we thought it was like a standardized test. So I took the test again. He's fine. He can go. He can come. We'll give him a scholarship to play football. And my mom was like, to get him out of this area and give him yeah. a chance, a better chance at a better life. She she chose for me to go down there to Wilming, West Virginia. And sense. to be honest, I, it wouldn't have been a decision of mine. I yep. wasn't really trying to go. It wasn't a place that I thought fit me and how I grew up. But it was probably the best decision and the hardest decision my mom had to make. So at 13 years old, I headed off to, uh, to William, West Virginia, to that military. Kind of was like a private school, but like a military type school because you just had uniforms and stuff every day. From there, I played football until my senior year. So I got down there and it was, you know how you, you good in your own hood. But when yeah. you go somewhere else, you start being like, I ain't as good as I thought I I ain't like that. <laughs> yeah, I ain't really like that, right? I thought I ain't going to front. And to be real, I was going down there and, you know, it was about white people. I was like, I'm about to kill this. Yeah. But, mm, I did not know what I had in store for me, bro. So um, I went down in my first two years. And you had to play two sports. Like, you had to play two sports to keep a scholarship. So I played football, basketball, and baseball. But they really liked me in football and baseball. My basketball, I was okay, but I really wasn't, like, passionate about it. But I was yeah. like, I'll play. My junior year, I just, I, start, I just started getting more attention in basketball. It just came more natural to me. So my junior year, 
I was like, I don't want to play no other sports. And they were like, well, you got to play two sports. And I was like, well, I'll just leave. My mom was like, no, you won't. So I played football and basketball my junior year. And then my senior year, they just let me play basketball. And to be honest with you, I ain't get recruited by nobody. I was like, uh, like, what is it? The I forgot what it was for high school. It was like honorable mention, all state. And, yeah. and I was like leading the state in scoring, but I was honorable mention, all state. I'm like, yo, how do I get an honorable mention? Lead mm. the state in scoring. Um, but I was, at a, I was at a private school, at a prep school. So they really didn't see it as the competition was good enough. Coming out, I had three schools that were really on me, which was William and Jefferson, which was like a Division three school, Mansfield, PA, which is a D2 school, and Howard and Coach Butch Beard. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he was like, I was like, I guess I'm going to Howard. <laughs> my mom, my mom was not with it because I guess we had an aunt that went to Howard and she had went to some party and they had put something in, I guess wanted to drinks or something. Uh-huh. And she's never been in this, never been the same. She's oh, kind man. of been one of those like halfway houses now. Yeah. And um, my mom was like, no, nah, you're not. Howard ain't it. And yeah. uh, at that time, I was like, well, that's only Mansfield. Yeah. When I say it's six degrees of separation, my sister is married to a dude named Christopher Horn. Mm-hmm. Christopher Horn was going to Bucknell on a scholarship, I guess. Back then, it wasn't like full scholarships. It was like aid mm-hmm. at schools like Uh-oh. that. Um, and he, the coach had left that year to go down to William & Mary. He tells me, he's like, uh, so I didn't know Chris at the time at all. So the new coach comes, Coach Patrick Flannery. He's going to, to Pittsburgh or coming to Pittsburgh to tell Chris, like, hey, we still want you here. You don't have to go to William & Mary. You want... Chris was like, no, nah, this dude recruited me. I want to go to William & Mary. No lie, this one white dude, Coach Patrick Flannery, is the only white dude in the gym on this place called Ozanam on the Hill. Mm-hmm. I guess this is him seeing if I'm worthy of coming. I play that day. He's like, we'll find whatever you need to make sure you come to Bucknell. That's how I came to Bucknell. <laughs> and that dude is now married to my sister, and they got four kids. Wow, bro. <laughs> no lie. Crazy. Christopher Moore turned down Bucknell to go to William and Mary. He's now married to my sister. They got four kids. Wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. Seriously, that's crazy. So, t- talk about your career at Bucknell. You know, you kind of had a natural progression. You know, started off kind of slow, didn't play as much, but when you got to your junior year, you started to take over. Um, so when, when was that moment when you kind of knew that, you know, you were that guy on the, on the team? When I went up there, my freshman year, like everybody's freshman year probably at college, year, like it's a progression, right? You go there, you don't know what to expect. It's your first time on a college campus. You got freedom. You ain't got that wake up no more. It's like, yo, I get to live, baby. <laughs> um, so I went to college and it was like, it was a shock that first year. Not so much like the shock of being away from home because I had already done that. It was just a shock of like, you're not in military school no more. You got the freedom to do what you want. Like yeah. at military school, it's like seven o'clock, you got study hall, 8.30, they turning off your lights. Yeah, it's discipline. Scoop, yeah. y'all yeah. know college, it's like, you do what you want. Right. <laughs> you, know, you, you, you get it how you get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was a cool, it's like the first year I feel like I shouldn't have been playing that much. I felt like it was a, a year for me to know what college basketball was all about. Now my sophomore year, you could probably even 
asked Coach Flannery, like, I should have been starting my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. And my sophomore year, at that time, Bucknell, who, who they aren't who they are now. Yeah. But back then, we had went to play Alabama, who was, like, ranked in the country, 18th. And that was my first game ever starting because the starting point guard got hurt. Lesson in disguise. We go out. We win. I ball. First ever time they beat somebody ranked and all that. That was back then. Now, you know, of course, they're different now. But then it was like, oh, man. I, so, for me, I thought I was the juice. I was like, man, I told you I should have been starting. Like, like, I told you, man. Things in front of me. I came right back to this seat when I got it. was over. <laughs> Come back over here. So, yeah. So, like. Like, my sophomore year was, like, a growing experience because everybody was seniors, and even though I thought I was ready, it taught me something about, like, there's a certain level of maturity and stuff you need you know, if you want to lead a team. You know what I mean? Kyle, I know you know. I know Tyler, you know. Like, it's different when you just, like, I'm hooping, and it's another when you, like, you the leader. And right. I didn't know that as a sophomore. I was just like, I'm hooping. Like, man, they, they holding me back. I'm about to transfer. Like, they, but it wasn't. It was just I wasn't ready to be a leader yet. I wasn't ready to take that step that he wanted me to take. So my junior right. years, I felt like that summer, I just I worked super hard um, and really pushed myself because I wanted like I had go I had goals and I wrote them down like I want to be best player in the conference and do this. I want to go to the tournament. I even had like NBA NBA All Star. I had all mm-hmm. that stuff going into my junior year. After playing against Alabama, you felt like. Oh man, I ain't scared. Like them dudes ain't no different than me. Right. But when you don't right. get to play against them, we just watch them on TV. At least me, I only got to see them dudes on TV. I didn't play at no big time school, so they just seem like so much better than me. But when you went up against them, I was like, these dudes ain't like that. Like, right. like I think I, I think I can compete, and I think that's a eye opening experience for a lot of people that go to small schools. When you get on the court with them big dudes, you like, they ain't no different than me. Like, let's who. Now, you start turning the corner, like you say, your junior year. So going into, you know, junior year, now you're the man, the senior year. Like, how would you feel a lot more confident? You were balling out. Like, talk about that. So my junior and senior year were, like, night and day because my junior year, I feel like I kicked in the door because people knew me, but they didn't know me. And then my senior year, it was, like, the expectation. I was supposed to be player of the year because Donald Foy was also in my conference at the time. I yeah, ended up from, getting drafted. From Colgate, and, uh, right? Yeah, from Colgate. So he he had left. It was his um, He had left early, one year early. So now it was like it was my chance to win all the awards because he was cleaning up every award every year. Like he was just cleaning them up. So it was like, oh, it's my time. And it just seemed like my senior year, everything went well, but not as well as it should have been. Should have mm-hmm. went, and not so much just me, but. When you playing with people that go to school to really go to school, it's different when you on a scholarship playing basketball or when dudes come to school like, I want to be a pro. They didn't have those aspirations. And it's no knock on students back then. They were student athletes, and I respect that. But I wasn't there really to be the best student. I was there to be the best hooper. And then the school was just like, I'm going to get good enough grades because I know my people's is like, yeah. You, don't, you don't graduate, it's going to be a problem. So I never came with that attitude that I didn't want to go to school, but I just came with the attitude I wanted to play basketball first. So I felt like I underachieved as a winner in college, but I probably maybe overachieved what people thought my talent was. I talk about now you, you graduated. I'll talk about that, you know, that, that being for your family, that, you know, that, you know, be able to go back to your mom to see your family with the diploma and then talk about your aspirations afterwards. You said, like, you had a, a list about, you know, being an NBA and, 
you know, going through all that. Talk about did you, you know, did you get invited to Portsmouth? Did you have like, you know, league opportunities or, you know, what was your kind of like your next, your mind, what was your next step at that? At that time, it was 98, so it was the NBA lockout. So yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, during, yeah. Yeah, so during that time, I, I, I'm not the dude that tries to live in the past of, like, what would have happened. Yeah. I wouldn't have got drafted. Yeah. I wouldn't have got invited to Portsmouth. Like, just at that time, I just felt like it was more elite players get going to those places. So I think I would have probably still ended up in the same situation. Mm -hmm. um, but the first thing's first, the education, like, Bucknell is a really good school, and I knew what I was going to school for. So when I graduated, I never intended, like, okay, I didn't know about overseas. So I was like, guess I ain't going to for NBA then. I guess getting a job is the next thing, right? Like, yeah. no agents was knocking down my door or calling me like, hey, you got a job. We got a job for you. But during that summer, when I graduated, after I graduated, my mom came up, my dad came up, family affair, had a great time. Um, I came home and my mom was like, I know you had these basketball dreams, but August 1st, you're getting a job. Like, I don't care what basketball <laughs> dreams you got. Dude, a job, you know, this, August 1st, you're getting a job. Um, so at that time, I was still um, one of my good, I would say a mentor who was coaching, Darrell Porter was the head coach at Duquesne at the time. Uh -huh. And I used to go down there just to get workouts in. And Mike James, I think, was there who ended up playing in the NBA. But on his yeah. desk, there was a card that was like, if you want to play European basketball, like, fill this out. And I don't know if this is how I got the job or not, but I filled it out, sent it in. And just, probably, off a, was, just off a whim, like, you just, just... Just off a whim. Like, it wasn't... It was on his desk. I was just I was like, yo. And I ain't even telling him. I was like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. And I'll say it was about two or three weeks later, there was a guy named Mr. Raono that called me and was like, um, you want to come trial for a team in Latvia? And I'm like, cool. And they were like, uh, he's like, it's like $400 a month. I mean, $400 a week for the tryout. He's like, it's $2,500 a month. I don't know about y'all, but I was like, 400 for the week? I'm going right now. Where I signed? <laughs> <laughs> he was like, yo, you got like, you have your passport? This I was like, yeah, he was, he was like, well, pack as if you're going to stay, but it's a trial. So you could, you know, you could get cut and go back home. Now, when I say I didn't have money, I literally used to go to school with a green trunk. One of them old trunk, treasure chest chunks. No lie, bro. I packed that thing with a leather coat, couple pair of shoes, some jeans. And I was like, if I don't make it, I'm not coming home. Like, I'm not lying to you, bro. Like, this is not like no good. Like, I had this Louis Vuitton luggage. No, bro. I had, a, a, I had a trunk. And I went over, man. And I made it, man. Like, by the grace of God, like, it was the perfect situation. They, the dude that picked me up, and I don't know about, like, a lot of whoever's listening to this, but if you ever been on an airplane and you own the only black person, you know, it's a, just a certain level of being uncomfortable that you right. be like, am I, should I really be going here? And y'all know the feeling. Y'all yeah. all know the feeling. Like, like, man, this might not be right for me. Like, yeah, yeah. So, and this is in 1998. So y'all know, I was like, mm, this probably ain't the, the move I should be making. But yeah. went over, man, did the, the tryout. Mind you, they never gave me the $400, no lie. Um, <laughs> Sound like overseas. <laughs> you know? It's like tomorrow, tomorrow. Hey. tomorrow. <laughs> I never got that 400 but uh, 
I, that was my start, man. And it was like a blessing in disguise. I didn't have an agent. Um, I, when I got there, I signed my name and they were like, oh, who's your agent? And I was like, whoever called me to get the job. And I signed yeah. his name and that's how they did it. And I didn't have an agent for my, my first three years overseas, but that's mm. how I really started. It was no, I had all these agents calling or nothing like that. Literally, I, that's why I say, man, but I wrote that book, Blessed Footsteps. Like, I really believe that. Like, why me? Like, why right, Like, bro. why somebody call me and say, you can have a trial for $400 and you can go from that to how, you know, how I finished my career. So I, I really do believe I was blessed, man. Like, we asked, we asked one of my, one, somebody we, uh, we uh, interviewed earlier, you know, about what overseas, he, he was in 2003. And we asked him, like, you know, what was overseas life like in 2003? Um, so for you, you came in 98. So what was like life for you? Cause there was no, we talked about, there was no Netflix, there was no Apple TV, there was no cell phones, there was no like. There might not have been no DVDs at that hey. time. <laughs> My man, look, y'all getting real disrespectful. Y'all getting a little disrespectful. It was like straight. Bro, I'm yo, '98, man. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure, and you was in, you was in Riga too, so I'm sure it's a lot different than being. So, like, what was like, what was you doing on a daily basis, like, you know, compared, like, you know, because there's guys now, like, you know, that be. We be over in Russia, whatever, and they be like complaining, like, "Man, I ain't had this, I ain't had this, I don't have this." So I always, we always think back, it's like, "Yo, what was?" And this is like, we always think about, like, "What was Jr. doing? What was these guys doing back then?" So like in '98, what was you doing, like in, in Riga? How was your life? Man, y'all ain't even gonna believe this. One, I got over there. I don't drive stick, and I never drove a stick at that time. I didn't even have. It. I got my license when I was 21 years old. Like, I, I just got my license, bro. Like, I didn't get my license until I was 21. No lie. Like, my biggest thing about people getting licenses, I ain't got no car. What am I getting a license for? Like, it's showing off. So, yeah, so I'd be like, yo, I got my license. Nah, I didn't get my license until I was 21. So they're like, we got a stick. And I'm like, I don't drive stick. So they were like, somebody will pick you up every day, take you to practice, and bring you home. Now, back then, Y'all got the luxury of we shared apartments. So there was two of us in the apartment. Me and my first teammate was Dan Crack, white dude that went to Northwestern. Literally, the apartment was like literally three rooms, a living room and his room and my room was on the other side. That was it. Mm -hmm. We shared a kitchen, shared a bathroom, all that. Like it was almost like college. And the first probably week was easy because I was trying to make the team. Yeah. But when I say life became a lot different once you made it, because now you know you're here. Like, you're staying. Right. You got two channels. You got MTV, uh, MTV York, and you had CNN. That's it. You ain't had a satellite <laughs> that y'all got. And I don't know about y'all a little bit older. Y'all young, but y'all ain't that young. Yeah, I yeah. had a calling card. You right. had calling yeah, cards to go yeah. to the pay phone. Yeah. Yeah, so you didn't have, like, y'all ain't had no cell phones, uh, none of that. So I used to buy these calling cards to call home from a pay phone, like right down the street, like right down the steps and around the corner from the uh, apartment. No lie, bro. Like, I read the Bible from front to back my, my first year overseas. Words. Just because I didn't have anything else to do. Like, I didn't have no TV. I couldn't drive. I didn't speak the language. What was I going to do? Like, I didn't have money. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm about to go buy. Can y'all send me some books over? Like, I was just happy to get a calling card. Like, books. Literally, my mom sent me with a Bible. And I read that Bible from front to back my first year overseas. 
So first of all, I gotta know what your mom thought when you told her you was going to Latvia. Who was her her first uh, her first thought? First off, I don't think she believed me because she had never heard of it. She was like, Latvia, where is, where is that? I, I don't even understand. <laughs> and then she kept saying like, they don't even play basketball in Latvia. They, they're lying. They're going to hurt you over there. They're lying. They don't play basketball. <laughs> like my mom did not think they even played basketball. Oh, the setup. <laughs> she thought it was a setup, man. You know old folks, man. Yeah, she, my yeah. mom, 60, she like, nah, like. Mm. <laughs> Black people don't go to Europe. That's what my mom kept saying. Black people right. don't go to Europe. <laughs> but like literally when I got over there and tried out, like I think she was a little nervous just because I mean, it's me. I got I have an older brother, my brother Warren. I think for her, she was just like, well, her baby's leaving, you know what I mean? And going not up the street where she can call me. Like there wasn't a cell phone. She had to wait till I called her when I got there. There wasn't no let me know if you made it. Back then, you know, now we get over there, you could text or tell your mom, I'm straight, I'm here. Back then, it was none of that. So for her, she was a little worried and a little concerned. Um, I give her kudos because she was like, when I called, it wasn't like no crying or like, are you okay? It was just like, I was like, mom, I'm over here. I think everything is going good. And I didn't call her as soon as I landed. I probably didn't call her for two or three days. So imagine a parent now sending a 22-year-old son over there and you don't call her for two or three days. But I didn't know how to get in touch with her. Like, what was I gonna ask him? Yo, can I use a cell phone, yo? Like, <laughs> like I gotta call America. Back in '98, America. So it was like I said, it was. I think my my mom and my dad was like super supportive of, of me going over, but it was it was a little worrisome and a little scary the first time, at least my first trip over, especially because I had never really heard her. None of us had never heard her about Latin. You know, you were talking about the whole crowd experience and, you know, you got to go. Europe is a lot different from college. You got different uh, rules. You got different basketball. My first team was also a tryout experience, too. So I was like, it was weird. You got to put the ball on the first ground first and all that. So just talk about, like, the style of play when you first had this, you know, got started and all that. Like, how, how, how was the difference? What was the difference? See, I, I always feel bad for dudes that are not point guards that have to try out, right? Because yeah. you are depending on somebody else. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to front. Where I'm from, I'm like, give me the ball, let's go. Like, right. I didn't care what the rules was. I didn't know what no play was. I was like, I'm doing me. It's a tryout. So I always feel bad for people that have to go over and depend on someone else to make a team because a lot of times they don't make it, not because they're not talented enough, but the coach doesn't even give them a chance to really make it. Where with me, you come and you're getting a point guard. And the trial was like one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three. Like for us, that's up our alley where we grew up. That's how we grew up, playing one-on-one, two-on-two with your friends. Like we didn't, like it was, I didn't even play five-on-five the first like week I was there. Everything was like, I guess just seeing how skilled or talented I was. And because I was kind of fast, it made it a lot easier. Cause y'all know like back in 98, how fast you think European guards were. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to sit here and laugh. I was like, this going to be easy? I'm going to get like 50 over here. Like, I didn't know I was in the lowest level. But I was like, I'm about to kill this. Whatever Europe is, I'm about to eat. This league about to be easy. They're going to know me. Yeah, that's funny. So you, you, like you said, you talk about you had a successful season that year. You guys end up winning the, the championship. So talk about that season and talk about like you said, like you know, just winning it, winning your first year out, you win the title. 
like what was that experience? And then, you know, going back home that next summer, like, you know, what were you telling your friends and your family about, you know, about your, your first year overseas? So winning the championship was kind of cool because they there was another team called Vince Fields and they were like the two yeah. best teams. So it was it was it was Riga Latvian and it was Vince Fields. And they they had two dudes that were a little bit more known. Ted Jeffries went to Virginia yes. and uh Ali Lou Sims went to NC State. So they were on our team. So I was really the only American on our team because we they kept changing the other guys. So Dan Kreft got like let go, Jamal Morgan, um Vincent Knowles, and I think I finished my season with a guy named Alex Thurms from Jersey, a white mm -hmm. kid. Um so it was like there was a revolving door. So I just being on that team to me gave me the dynamics of like no one spoke English. The coach didn't speak English. And one of the players did all the translating. So I always look at it like, I'm blessed because what if that dude didn't like me? He could have, the coach could have been saying, yo, go out there, go left. And he could have been telling me like, go right. And now the coach is like, I can't play him. So I'm like, when I think, when I say things fell into place for me and it was, I was truly blessed. Like I really mean, mean that because I don't speak Latvian. So I didn't know what was going on. But I knew the team was competitive. I knew the coach was famous. His name was Christos Volters. I knew he was famous and known. And I really just wanted a chance to, to play. So that all kind of came into place. We won a championship. And overseas, which is different probably now, is like the game is really global. Like when Seska wins or when Barcelona wins, like everybody in America knows. Yeah. Like when you're on those top teams. Even on these small teams now, like nobody really cares who won in Sweden. Like, let's be real. Yeah, like, bro. I was in Latvia. Nobody cared. Like, I didn't. Honestly, I didn't really care. I was like, man, like, when am I going home? <laughs> can I get my last check? And can I get? Can I go home? Right. But I'm just being real. Like, yeah, I, I was. I knew I wasn't at the highest level because I had been over there a year. But early on, I didn't know. Um, but when I came home, the funny thing about money is when you only have a little bit of money, you really do think you have a lot of money. Right, but you don't. You don't realize you got just a little bit of money, yo. I probably came home with like fifteen G's. Right, I thought I was balling. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, Who y'all want to go? <laughs> it's all me. <laughs> I'm not lying, bro. Like I literally was broke by like July. I got home like June 15th, July 4th. I was, I was out. I was, I was tapped out, dog. <laughs> like, I really thought, like, you just don't realize it. You know what I mean? Like, you think this, this little bit of money is going to go a long way because when you go home, when you come back home, you don't have responsibilities. Like, I didn't have kids at the time. I didn't have a, um, a, my own crib. I didn't have my own car. I told you I got my license at 21, so I didn't have a car. So everything was still like on my mom and like, you know, on my older brother. So I just thought it was like, man, let's get But that second year I, I I shaped up a little bit, but my first summer home was really just like, I play overseas, I'm trying to move up, but I, I didn't come home to fanfare. I didn't come home to being embarrassed either. Like I was like, yo, I think I got a chance to move up. I was a little worried because I didn't have an agent. I didn't know where my next job would be coming from. But they had offered me a chance to come back. I told them I didn't really want to unless I had to. But I would I would let them know by August. So really, it was just, man, that first year, it, it, it seemed like it went so fast because you're over there, you're home, 
And before you know it, you broke. So you like, shit, I got to go overseas, though. <laughs> <laughs> I got to ask you real quick. I got to ask you real quick. Everybody, when they first make their little piece of change, they, they always splurge and get themselves like one little thing. I know for me, Kyle makes fun of me all the time. I was in Vegas, though I was a hot shot, whatever. I bought a pair of $600 Balenciagas. Two pair, bro. Two pair. Two pair, bro. That was like $1,300. But, yo, but, 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 Jay, but, Jay, but, the thing about it is, like, you know, he had a, but he had a, what, he had the shoebox, he had the bag they came in, and he had a more full form on the end of his bed. So you walk in his roof, he got the two shoes lined up like his bed. I think he is. He think he's Baywell or something? Like, what's going on? <laughs> you living, baby. That's how you living. Tell him you living, man. That's all I was. Oh, man. I'm trying to think. Honestly, that money was so fast, I probably didn't even buy myself nothing sweet, dog. Like, that first, my second year, I know I did, but my first year, like, when you come from where I come from, like, your mom needs something, you give it to her. You know what I'm saying? Your cousin needs something, you give it to him. So I don't even think I had that type of money really to be able to do all that. And I don't come from, like, y'all coming from Jersey, New York, like, fashion is all that was popular with y'all. For us, it was just like, yo, I got some jeans and T-shirt, so good. Like, I got you know jays was always in but I, I really wasn't that type of dude back then so it was just more like man i'm coming home i'm trying to have fun and i think i the fun part is probably what got me going out taking six seven people with you bro you got 15 like literally dog, you got 15 g's like really that you gotta like you don't got nowhere to live yeah. nowhere to eat like literally if i when i came up what was i taking her like straight my mom's basement? Bro, I'm 23. Like, <laughs> like, my mom had rules. Like, you ain't taking nobody upstairs. You come in, you either go into the basement or you in front of everybody on the couch in the living room. So I'm like, like I just young and stupid, man. But I was, I was living. I thought I was living. All right. So you talk about you didn't have an agent your first few years over there. So how, how did the... Uh... The Belgium deal come about? Did you seek that out yourself, or somebody approached you about it? Nope, it's crazy. Uh, a guy named uh, Mr. Petri, I don't even know his last name. The same way I don't know Mr. Rauno's first name. Uh, this guy named Mr. Petri called me and said there was a trial in Belgium. They were rebuilding. Um, they had spent a lot of money the last few years. A team called Ostende. They had spent a lot of money, and they just didn't achieve what they wanted. So they wanted to start fresh, start young. And he was like, hey, it's going to be a deal for 5000 a month. So that's double what I made my first year. So you know what I was saying. <laughs> but the crazy thing, and this is when I say, I always say when I'm like, yo, I'm blessed. Literally, I had to go over July 10th to start trying out. So I was broke by July 4th. By July 10th, mm -hmm. I, I was going to try out. So it's like, even yeah. though I had no money, I didn't have to be at home with no money. Like It was just like, yo, you got to go try out for this team. They'll give you two thousand the first month, and if you make it, then you'll get your five thousand a month. And I'm like, I'm in. Like, I'm at the crib with no money. Like, all right, but how? Like, how does God work? That everybody always goes over in August. They call me to come trial in July, and they're gonna give me two grand to trial. It's crazy. Everything just kind of like everything worked out. Like everything just like, yeah, everything worked out. Yeah. So going to Belgium was cool. Um, Belgium wasn't. It was one of the, I love Belgium, let me tell you. I would have mm -hmm. stayed there forever if they would have re-upped me after my second year. So my first year, Kyle will be able to notice because he won everywhere he went. 
my first year, right? <laughs> right? My first year, we lost in the championship. The only championship I've ever lost in a domestic ever in my career. The only championship I ever lost was my first year in Belgium. Say that again? Right, exactly. The only championship I've ever lost in a domestic league was that second year. Oh, got it. I didn't hear you. I was making sure I was just, just like, oh, no, I lost a lot of championships. The ones you won, I lost. I'm gonna pay my respects. You try to throw me out there like you. My man out there with the trophy going to Jordan. Like, don't do me like that, bro. Don't do me like that. I got you, man. You, you the dog. I, I, my bad, my bad, my bad. Truth, truth, truth. Back to the truth. Back to the truth. My bad, my okay. bad. <laughs> um, so that was the only championship I lost in the domestic league. I didn't know that was going to be that happened. But uh, Mike Uger, Lou Rowe, uh, Roger Huggins. I remember all the dudes on that team. They beat, they beat us in the finals. Lou Rowe from, and, uh, um, from around our way. He's from Atlantic City. Yep. Yeah. And I didn't. Honestly, we had, when we lost, I didn't have an agent. But when we lost, they were like, you know, we won't come. I'm like, I'm coming back. They were like, well, we only going to give you this. I didn't even care what they paid me. They were like, oh, we'll just give you seven a month. I was like, all right. Because I just wanted to win. Like, for me, I've always been about, like, I can't leave unfinished. Like, I want to win everywhere I go. I want to win. I didn't have an agent. So I wasn't trying to figure out what was the best place for me. It's like, I lost there. So who's going to want me? I just lost. So I was, whatever y'all want to pay me to come back, I'm coming back. And that was the best decision I ever made because the next year we got to play in the Super League before the, back then it was Super League A and B. That was the Euro League. Yeah. Now we were the first Belgium team to play our way into that. So, I mean, everything just worked out. I got to play in against Ephes and Maccabi and all the big time teams that I never heard of when I was in Latvia. My second year in Belgium, it's like, you walk in there and it's like, I'm the man on our team. And I got to kind of really, really show and prove what I could do. And that's probably why I was able to take that next jump to Greece after that is because I got to play against all these other high-level players. You talk about Greece. So talk about a little bit about, like, what Ike was back then and, and the fans and, um, you know, they're, 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 if you people that don't know, they're famous. Like, you know, Ike fans are famous for being very fanatic. So talk about, you know, your, your experience, you know, going to Athens and then after being in, you know, Riga and after being in Ostende, you know, talk about, you know, that experience, you know, being at this and playing EuroLeague for, I mean, not the first time, but, you know, just like a first, like, you know, real yeah. big EuroLeague club. Talk about that. Um, first, I'll say I played stepchild to his team, Olympiacos. So, if you know anything about Greece, <laughs> he's saying this because there's two teams that are on the same level and then everybody else is. Kyle was on the two teams that are on the same level, Olympiacos and Panathinaikos. Me, myself, I was on the lower tier team. So I'm still behind this dude with chips and with levels to this. So my little story, my little story will be uh, coming to Greece, it was, it was a little different. Um, I, I didn't know much about Greece, so it's not like yeah. I knew like Panathinaikos was this and Olympiacos was this. I really didn't know that. I was coming to Greece because it was the best opportunity to me to be able to show that I could play at this level. I had never played at that level before. I was excited about the opportunity. For the first time in my career, I didn't have to try out, so I was excited about that. And uh, it was my first time making six figures. And whew, it was make 150. I was, man, living the life. So, <laughs> <laughs> so getting over there, 
I didn't know like the Ike fans were like real fanatical or anything, but after my probably my first game, real game, we lost in the cup. And they were talking like in Greece back then you used to play the cup early in the year. Like you play your you play early and then you play the, you know, the finals later or whatever, but early you play your playing games. We had lost to none other than Tyler's first job, Peristeri. And uh, yeah, I'm up on it too. Y'all ain't gonna wanna do y'all brother. Uh, so <laughs> So we had lost to Peristeri in the cup and it was just the rumors was like, we got to cut him. Like he's not good enough to play at this level. And our Serbian coach to this day, man, I do, I owe everything to him. Cause he literally was like, I'm not cutting him. Like he's, he's good enough. Like he's going to be, he's going to, he's going to be better than you guys think. And his coach Dragan Sakota. Yeah. And he was, he, he stuck with me. And from there we took off. Like, I was the only American on the team. We had a, a dude from England, Andrew Betts, but it was just like the perfect fit because we all were young. The difference now with a lot of the elite teams is your best players are usually a little older, so it's more of a professionalism that you learn right off. But on that team, we were all kind of the same age. We were all between like 25 and 27. So we weren't young, young, but we were all still trying to push our way up and at our career. And I think that's the one blessing that I really loved about Ike that you don't get when you're at Seska. It's like everybody's still fighting for money and different right. things when you got those elite programs, like elite teams. When you're at Seska, like the difference between 1.5 and 2 million is a lot to them dudes. Like winning and all that is cool, but money is important to them. And they got to feel like you're respecting their, you know, what they're worth by what you pay them. Wasn't like that back then for Ike because you're a lower level team. Everybody knows that. Those dudes at Olympiaco and Panathinaikos make them make the most. So you weren't really sitting there like, man, I only make 150 and he made a million. Like you yeah. didn't care. You weren't on that team, no way. That's the difference between those bigger teams. And because we were all probably around the, the close to the same salary, it was it was real cool the the jump at least for me throughout that year because they allowed me to get better, which is something they usually don't allow Americans to do overseas. Mm -hmm. They allowed me to take my steps and my lumps and. When we hit that regular season, man, we ended up in first place. And it was the first time I'd ever been to a game where you are actually throwing, like people are throwing stuff on the court. Like yeah. I had never been anywhere in my life where you could throw coins and water yeah. bottles. And I was like, I don't know where I'm from. So I got kicked out of the game because I don't know about y'all. Where I'm from, you throw a water bottle on me, I'm told to throw it back. Same. So. That thing came down, I'm like. <laughs> I didn't know, man. I did not know the rules. I didn't know you weren't supposed to throw it back. But I had suspended for a game because I threw the water bottle back. I seen so much crazy stuff in Greece. Like, there was a guy named uh, Kikius on our team taking the ball out. And I know you know in Iraqis, the gym is real small. Yeah. And they fall right up on you. Man, the dude just spit and Kiki face, like taking the ball out. And I was like, is the game really that serious and you ain't playing? Like, it's one thing to be a fanatical fan, but I feel like that's one of those places, like Greece is one of those places where they cross the line. And it's so, it's almost too intense. Like, I love great fans. I love the, I love when, when you're there and they're rocking and they're, oh, 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 oh. like, it's, it's bananas. Yeah. But, I think you do got to draw the line because a lot of times, man, I think they put a lot of players in uncomfortable situations that they shouldn't be in. We just hooping. We all love it. We all want to win, but you got to you got to stay a fan.
And that's one of the places where I was like, this is just different. So who'd y'all beat in the title that year? I know y'all won the Greek League. Mm. Guess who that team's name is? <laughs> hey, hey, here we hey. go. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> no, we we uh we beat Olympiacos in the in the championship. It was kind of cool. We didn't have because we ended up in first place. We didn't have to fight. Panner had to play Olympiacos in the semis, and Panner had won it all. Had won the Euro League that year. They won the whole thing, so they had to fight each other. So that was one blessing. We didn't have to go through both teams to win it, and then we played Olympiacos in the finals to win. So. It was, it was a great season. I actually assigned a two-year deal there, but y'all know as well as I do, Avrio, Avrio means you're not getting it. So yeah. um, I didn't yes. get all my money. And <laughs> that was a blessing for me, but I was a little upset at the time. I mean, that was my first six-figure deal. You ain't paid me for three, four months. Um, it, was, it, was, it wasn't the best feeling in the world, but it was the first one to let me know, like, that's back to the roots. of so, like, we played basketball for a long time. Money didn't matter. We yeah. just played it because we loved it. And if I do what I'm supposed to do, I would be taken care of, and that's, oh. that's what happened. I did what I was supposed to do, right. and Seska came and took care of me. You talk about, you know, Seska, you make that that big jump, you know, now, you, now you're playing for uh, the, the huge organization. So talk about that whole, uh, how that started off and signing, to now go to Russia. Now you go from Latvia to Belgium, to Greece, and now you're going to, to Russia. So talk about that. Seska was always known, but Seska was like on, wasn't at its peak of where it is now. When I got over there, Seska was losing. And that was the reason why they were trying to kind of regroup and re, I guess like, I don't even know, like do their image all over again. So they had actually went and got um, Kushinka, who, Sergei Kushinka, who used to be up at a place called Eurograde or something in Perm, they call it Perm, Russia. Yeah, and his team, yeah, his team up there had Tyus Edney, Anthony Bowie, so he was like really good at being able to build Perm up and Perm had won the year before. So um, it had been like three or four years in a row that Seska hadn't won it. And that's not known in Russia. Like if Seska's not in the championship game, that's like not heard of. And that's, it was happening year after year after year for I think four years. So when I got there, it was like, we're rebuilding. And we wanted to start with some players that weren't quote unquote, the name players. Another Serbian coach, it was, I had Duda Ivkovic. And he was coming in, and he actually went and got Papa Lucas, uh, Theos Papa Lucas, first because mm -hmm. he had his ties to Greece. And of course, you know, coach had coached here in Greece, and Pops was supposed to be the next young player that was supposed to go to the NBA. So he went and got Pops, and he wanted another American as a as a point guard. And my coach, I guess, has a relationship with Coach Dakota, and and he was like, "Hey, I'm telling you, you like this kid." And of course, Coach Ekevich was like. He's wild. He's, you know, <laughs> all that stuff they say about dudes that shoot all the balls. But, uh, but Coach Dakota was like, I'm telling you, you'll like him. So he was like, he'll, he'll take me. He ended up taking me, man. So he, take, he took me. And not just that, they signed me for three years, like right off the hump. Really? Now, I had known what I know now. I wouldn't have signed that cheap ass deal, but I didn't know. <laughs> hey, you probably was like three years. Like, you just come up like a year before, like, try it out. So, you like, you gonna give me three years to play ball? Like, no lie. And that's, that's really what happened. They gave me three years off the hump, and I was like, what? And then, you know, I, I don't care. They assigned me for 200, 300, and 400. So, in my mind, I was like, that's bread. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, if I knew they was paying Chris Gatlin this and Darius and Gala this, I would have been like, hell no. But I didn't renegotiate. Yeah, but you but you see how what I said earlier, when you get to those clubs, like money start mattering. You like you sign a three-year deal and you making this and a dude on your team doing less yeah. and not starting and he doing yeah. he making three times what you making, that's when I think sometimes those become a little bit of an issue. But it was cool. Did you, um, did you have an agent at this point, or were you still? I did. did. I had uh, I signed with a guy named Alexander Roskovic. He was Serbian, but he was represented here by SFX. So that was like Michael Jordan's agency with like David Folk, David Ballman, all those guys. But he was the runner over there. Um, okay. He had got me. He had got me the job in Greece. So my second year in Belgium, I signed at the end of that year with him. Okay, I got you. Yeah, I signed that three-year deal, and Seska is not what it is now. So like. Kushinka was coming in and changing everything, which was cool. Um, the first day we got there, I got there with a guy named Darius Sangala who went to Wake Forest. He had just mm -hmm. graduated, and I get he got drafted, I believe, by the Celtics, and they didn't they didn't keep him. So he he was coming over. He was trying to get back to the league. Um, Papa Lucas was on that team. A guy named Nikos Hachivertis, who was also coming from Greece, as a shooting guard, was on that team. Chris Gatling from the NBA. It was his first year overseas. He was on the team. And it was just different, man. It was the first time, like, you felt like you were playing pro ball. Like, these are some elite names you're playing with and playing against. And it was it was a great experience, and a lot of it was because of um, Sergey. Kushinka really came in, and we met him, and he was like, listen, this is a three-year thing. We're not expecting to make the Final Four the first year. We want to take steps. But once we get here, we have to stay here. And that was his major thing, like, we're going to take our steps to get to a Final Four, but once we get here, we're not leaving up here. So just make sure you're committed to that. And to be honest with you, I was super excited. I was like, I hadn't even heard about the Final Four. I'm like, I don't even know what that is for real. Like, I'm just, man, this is what we're going for? So that, that first year was like, it went so quick because I wasn't guaranteed to start. Like, Bob Lucas was like, yo, best player gets to start. So I didn't know any of that. And we had just beat Papa Lucas and his team at Olympiacos before the year before at Ike. So I felt confident I could start and all that, but I didn't know. So everything was like, I like that environment where it's like the best player plays. And because we were all new and it wasn't like now you come to Seska, there's players there that have earned their stripes. If you better, you, you gotta come take that. And not just in practice, these dudes have won championships. That's how I felt once you're there for three or four years. Young players are coming, they think they know what it takes to be a champion. But until you've done it, don't tell me what you think you could do. Until you've been out here in this fire and you going, you know what I'm saying? You're gonna play your role in that fire. And that was my there's one thing I learned real early on is like at these higher levels, you gotta learn like somebody has to sacrifice. And you don't get to choose your sacrifice. No. See, like you could be a scorer, but your sacrifice might be playing defense. You can't just say, well, I'll just score three less points. Like, you don't get to choose what your sacrifice is. And that's right. one thing I learned when I got to Seska. And I really – that was something I embraced, of course, as we started winning. But my first year was really just like, hey, there's only one ball out there. Somebody got to eat. And it, ain't go, it ain't not going to be me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's how it was. But, man, that, that first year at Seska, was, it was a whirlwind. It was a great, great experience, great time. Russia – was totally different than the basketball. Like yeah. Russia, the life was, it was really much, it was very much like um, Latvia. Um, where I stayed at, 
Y'all know Kyle got a mansion. I just want to throw that out there before we get started. There's levels to living in in Russia. So anybody who's listening to this, Kyle is here and I am here. So I want this to be, so when I tell this story, Kyle will have never experienced this because there's levels to being to greatness. And he's up here when it comes to greatness and I'm here and I'm okay with that. So let me get back to the story. So I had this little apartment my first year, right? And I didn't know because the American... The American before me has stayed in this apartment. So I just assumed he stayed there. I could stay there. And it was like a high-rise building. And I didn't know it was a little bit, looked, looked a little sketchy, but I mean, who knows? You know how Russia is. It's dirty. You just don't know what. So I'm, we had Mercedes. No, we had BMWs the first year. And we, I was parking outside. And Sergey was like, they had stole the whole bumper and the tires off the car one night. What? So, so, so I didn't know where I was living at, dog. They, took, they stole the bumper, and the bumper and the tires off the whip. So I come downstairs for practice. Gone, cuz. Like, when I, I'm saying gone. Yo, did you freak out? I know you had to be like, yo, what? Like, <laughs> like somebody afraid like, a joke when you was so. When you took the tires, I knew it was real. See, if it would just been right. a bumper, I would have been straight. But I was like, somebody really took the whip. Like, why'd you just take the car? <laughs> like, you could have just took the whip. You took the tires. And... <laughs> Bruh. So, so, acoustic. So, I get to practice, and he's like, hey, there's a uh, parking garage down that will pay for you to park in there every night. So, they gave me another car, and I had to park in there. I didn't get a BM. I had a RAV4 this time. I got hustled. I didn't know. Um, <laughs> see, he don't know nothing about a rap for. Kyle don't know nothing about a rap for. Levels to this, man. So now I got to park the rap for in this parking lot. And between leaving that apartment and going to the lot is like a probably like a 40, 50 yard walk. Now, I'm fast forwarding this story because this is what I mean about rushing. I'm walking to the car and about, I would say a month before there, Victor Alexander was our new American. And he came in, he was like, man, you know you need to carry a shank. And where I'm from, I'm like, carry a shank? He's like, bro, dog, t- we in Russia, man, but this is a vet. He's a little <laughs> older than me, he five, he's like six, seven years older than me. He like, man, you better carry your shank. So I'm listening to the OG, I carry a shank. But I'm walking, <laughs> I'm literally walking from my place to this uh, parking garage. Three dudes walking up. They're walking towards me. I'm walking this way. I don't really know what they, like, I didn't think anything. Like, back then, just had my headphones on, bopping, walking. They come, and, like, they stop, and I never kept my music up that loud that I ain't here, but I didn't know what they was doing, but, like, they start surrounding me. Mm. Three dudes. Now, I'm thinking they're probably in their 20s. When I say blessed again, dude told me to carry a shank. Man, I pulled the shank out, and the dude, there was a dude there throwing this little ball with some spike on it. No lie, I called Vic. I called Vic while I'm in this. I called Vic and was like, yo, I'm surrounded at the spot. Now, y'all know how Russian traffic is. Yeah. I don't know what Vic did, but he was there. No lie, had to be six minutes. Like, he was coming from the other side of Russia. He was there in, like, no lie, six minutes. So, no lie, these three dudes is... They talking, saying something in Russian. It's my first year. I don't know what they saying, but I pulled out that blade and I was like, the dude right there must be the ring leader, so I'm going after him. <laughs> so if I go after him, then I know I'm good. Like, <laughs> the mother two dudes, 
So you could tell they were young though, because if you really wanted some smoke, they would just yeah, came on like, "Yo, yeah. this is what we do." Right. But they kind of was, yeah. There's a little hesitant. This. So you know me, I'm like, man, I'm not gonna run because then that's gonna, you know, we grow up. That's a sign of fear. Like you running. So I'm like, all right, man. It seemed like it took two days, but literally it was like five minutes. And like as soon as I was like, yo, this standoff, I got to go. Vic came running, and you talking about a six eight six nine dude. Running when I say them three dudes scatter so quick, they took off running. <laughs> to this day, I'm like, man, if Vic had not come and told me to carry his chain, I might have got beat up. It might have been nothing, but what if it was more than that? Yeah, what if it was something? That's crazy. That's, that's crazy, man. Talk about uh, Duda, uh, Ikovic, because I, I played for him too, but I've heard the stories about how he was, you know, back then. Um, you know, talk about him, and then also like I, I want to mention about Sergey. Like they they credit Sergey and Duda like changing everything at Cheska because like you know the locker rooms and you know all the facilities and all that stuff. They said like so I just want to know like from you guys was that was that true? Because before like you said you got there first, and they said like over that time like they all came and they changed everything the whole program. I would I would definitely give the credit to to Sergey and um, and Duda uh, as far as Sergey. He's just one of, like, he was one of just the best presidents or GMs, however you want to call him, yeah, like, absolutely, that absolutely. I've ever played for. Yeah. Um, he wants to win, but he wants to do it the right way. When I know you've all been on different teams where they say they're going to treat you like family, but you know it ain't really true. It's like the, the cool saying that everybody says we're family. Like, he really meant that. So when I got into another jam with the police, like, we got drivers, like, they say I was the one that started like the Americans getting drivers in Russia. Like I had My a God. little incident. I appreciate <laughs> you. I appreciate <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> so like we got to an incident with the police, and like the next day, Kushinka was like, "I'm looking for the guy's badge number. I know it wasn't your fault. We're going. You get to pick of these three drivers to ride you around for a week. Pick one. Like it was really treated like family. It wasn't like you got into this jam. I don't know what we were going to do. It was like, no, you'll never get into that jam again." So I definitely say, Sergey, when he said you're family and he's going to treat you like family, that was very real. And on the flip side, he's like, look, I'm going to do all I got to do for you off the floor. So you yeah. got to give me everything you got on it. And my thing is, if somebody commits to me like that, you ain't got no choice. Like, you do start throwing money and all that stuff out the window because you're like, man, this dude going to give me his best. I ain't got no choice but to give him mine. Um, so Sergey, man, he was, he was great for me. Um, Duda. Everybody act like Duda was super hard outside of Christmas, man. That's the only time I ain't really rock with Duda because everybody uh -huh. got to go to Serbia for Christmas. I, I ain't really feeling that, man. Like, you get yeah. to go home for seven days and we got to come be in a hotel hanging with you for seven days to train? <laughs> like, we all sacrificing, baby. Like, so, no lie, quick story on Duda. Me and Duda used to be like, like, that was my guy. Like, yeah. He was the one, like, he was the first one that told me, like, I don't care what you do in office. If you play defense, I'll let you do what you want. So I was like, cool. I never played with a coach. Like, you better just lock down and I'll let you eat. I'm like, this is my type of coach. <laughs> the second year, man, mind you, Marcus Brown and Victor were both older than me. They both were the vets and the OGs of our team. But they suckered me and asked and Duda to let us go home for Christmas, right? <laughs> so they was like, yo, Jay, man, you know, Duda like you. Go, go ask him two days for Christmas. <laughs> so you thinking, these dudes are older dudes, but they suckered the young dude in the day. Like, yo, so I go in there to coach, and I'm like, Duda, 
Like, can we can we go ahead and like at least get a day or two at home for Christmas, right? Now I shouldn't have said that, but I shouldn't have said like how many days can we get at home? But I was like, hey, can we get a day or two at home? And he was like, I'll give you 48 hours, right? <laughs> That's what he said. So I'm like, man, 48, like who go home for 48 hours from here to Russia, bro? But I'm like, 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 I didn't say that, right? So I go back and tell them like, yo, I couldn't get everything we wanted, but we got 48 hours. So me listening to them, they was like, well, once we go home, let's come back when we want it. I'm like, cool, let's come back when we want it, right? Now they think, now we go home and we're supposed to be back 48 hours. We don't come. We come back like a, probably two days after that. So we come back after like three or four days and we get back and dude it just laying to me. Like I was the ringleader. I didn't even like, them dudes is the one that was like, so he made me run the stairs. He was making me do all this extra work. He made me come in like, if we had practice at like at nine, he'd be like, you have to be here at 6.30 in the morning. I was yeah. like, bro, I did. I wasn't the ringleader. It's like, dude, dude. <laughs> man, they set me up. I will never forget that. Like, they threw me under the bus, um, and that was like, that was me and Duda's like first clash. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like after that, we just couldn't get back on that, Same. on that right track, man. Because Duda, um, I'm not gonna put a name out here, but Duda smacked the player in our locker room, right? Like at halftime. Is that a game and dude? I, I mean, the dude is a little soft, but like, I ain't never seen nobody just bop like in your face like I like like I I don't know about y'all, but I was a little shook. I was like, this coach smacked the grown man. Hey, like, this save, is a grown man. Save, save, save situation. <laughs> <laughs> I had never seen that before. So. That third year when the pressure was on us, because the final four was in Moscow, um, we were in a cup in Euro grade. And uh, we just weren't playing that great. I, honestly, I thought I was playing all right, but I had done something before the half that he didn't like. So he had came in the locker room and he just, you know, doing, you know how dude is, doing all the screaming and all that. But then he came towards my locker and it's Victor's right here, I'm here. I think Marcus Brown is here and the rest of the team, whatever. This was our second year. And he stands over me. Now, I don't know about y'all. If you see somebody get smacked one time, you ain't going to be the one. So I stood up like, bruh, like, I ain't that dude. And he was going to point, and I put my hand up, like, put my thing up like this. And then Vic and all them and Kushinka jumped in between. And it was like, after that incident, it was like, like me and Duda never could see eye to eye ever again. And I played for him a whole nother year. And when I see him now, it's love. Mm-hmm. But we could never get back on track at Seska. It just seemed like he almost wanted to win in spite of me, but he couldn't. So it was just like we couldn't we couldn't get back on track. But it was all because me not being mature enough to go to him and say, look, coach, I wasn't trying to stand up to disrespect you. Like, I just ain't never been smacked before. And I, if my daddy ain't going to smack me, I sure as hell ain't going to let you smack me. But, <laughs> but – I, it just caught me off guard, man. And me and Duda, like, had a buddy heads after that. And it was no, like, disrespect. Like, I didn't disrespect Duda. I thought he was a great coach, good man. But I see you smack somebody. You stand, like, you standing over me, like, what you going to do? I'm like, yeah, you ain't going to smack me because I don't care about none of this. None of this basketball, contract, none of that. We're going to have to try. 
All right, so we got to get back to the court, man. My bad. Just, just, a, just a little bit. Yep. So your, your first year with Cheska, you, know, you led the team just about every statistical category. You had a final four run and uh, ended up losing to Barcelona. Uh, kind of revamped the team the following year. They brought in, like you mentioned, Marcus Brown. Um, and you guys had two more final four runs. So let's talk about you and Marcus's dynamic. I think at the time he was the highest paid player in Europe. Let's talk about how you guys gelled and, and how it was playing with him. Marcus was one of those players, if you played with him, you like him. But if you play with the other, on another team, you like, man, he messing up the game. That's, that's, Mar <laughs> like, that's Marcus. Like, he had, every, before flopping became, like, super popular, he had all of that down pat. Like, he could draw fouls unlike any American I've ever seen play overseas. Like, he got every call. And he always had this scowl on his face, like, like he was tough. But I'm like, Man, that dude ain't tough. Like, y'all scared of this dude? Like, he ain't tough. Like, I just didn't understand, like, the fear they had of him. But as far as his talent and skill, he was he was a really good player, man. Um, just he could do a little bit of everything. I think at that time, I think we all get into a little being a little bit selfish. I think he, at times he got a little bit selfish, um, as we all do. We all get a little selfish at, at times. I think he, he's a little selfish at times. And us not getting over the hump had nothing to do with him. I think when you're on a team like that, and especially that third year when we lost in Moscow, like we had won 50-something games in a row. Like we had never done that. Like no other team had done anything like that. We had two starting fives. We had dudes that played in the league was coming off the bench. Like we was totally stacked. But we didn't like – one thing I do like about Cal, and I'm not just saying it's going to be on the phone, is like your appetite for winning got to stay up here even when you're going through the process. We was winning games, but we wasn't hungry no more. Like, we was just beating teams. We like, all right, we here. Knock them off. All right, who? that's the team. We going to beat them. Okay, who's next? But we wasn't hungry. We wasn't out there like, we ain't got no chip yet. This is our chance to win a championship. And that's different. And I think because we weren't hungry is why we got knocked off by a team that wasn't better than us. But they had dudes that could hoop. Like, Louis Scola could hoop. Cornell David played in the NBA, can hoop. Magiowskis played in the NBA, can hoop. Um, Calderon and Perjoni played in the NBA, can hoop. Like, all them dudes go. Tiago Splitter was coming off the bench. He could hoop. But we were the better team. But we didn't lose to some suckers, but they were hungry. And when you get on the court, only five people can play. And they, I just feel like they just wanted it more. And it was at our spot. And I think we always just thought, like, you know how when you're playing Russia, we eventually going to win. Yeah. Just give it time. Just give it time. And it just never happened. But – um, that team, man, one of the one of the best teams I ever played on. But I would also say it was like it was a team that when you walked in, you just felt like we were stacked. You wasn't gonna beat us, and we 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 rested on our on our laurels, and it got a lot of people let. I mean, a lot of people got fired and got let go of because of it. Going into that, I know you. Uh, you know, going to next year, you got Dina uh, coming in as a new coach, and then also they signed uh, Trajan Landry. So, uh, you know, with that new team, new coach, how was that experience? Me and Messina did not see eye to eye, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I heard you the first one to say that. You know, like, like, he was, for his first years there, like, Messina was, like, he was, like, like dude up, but I heard Messina, like, he was, like, in your face, like, like it's either his way or, like, that's or it. Or no way. Yeah. Like, I will say this, too, though. Messina, may, he may be that hard, but there is another side to him that 
it is only because he like he really does want to win. Yeah. Sometimes coaches don't they get in their own way as if you don't want to win as bad as they do. Like, no man, I want to win as bad as you do. So you ain't gotta all that screaming and do it this way. Like, I'm not not doing it your way because I don't want to do it that way. Like you're not out here playing. And sometimes they think it's just as simple as how they say it that you can do it. And Messina, I'm not lying. Like he would be like, We're gonna run four up, three dribbles here and throw. I'm like, yo, my man is my man is on this side, so I got to take one dribble here and spin back. That's five dribbles. I said three dribbles here. No, man. Like, at one point, I ain't going to front. I was like, you need another point guard. Mm-hmm. And to his credit, he took me off the point. He moved Dave Vanderpool to point, moved me to the wing, and we won a chip. So, it, you know, whether it was me being having too much of an ego or him being too prideful, it worked even though we didn't see eye to eye, like I did want to win. It wasn't that I didn't want to win, but I felt like he is better, in my opinion, at coaching guys that aren't as talented. He feels like, because he has more control. See, when you can control the guys, it's like, oh, you're not that talented. You're going to do it my way because you can't do it another way. And sometimes I would go out and do stuff just in spite of him. So we would be watching film, and he would be sitting there, and he'd be like, oh, here goes JR, bullshit shot, but he makes it. So everybody says, Street ball, like <laughs> in front of the whole team, dog. Like in front of the whole team. Like I was like, "Yo, this guy." But like I said, there's another side to him. I got it. Over the course of three or four years, he made me a better player. I learned to read the game better. I learned to slow down. I learned to come off pick and rolls. Like, yo, first big, second here, third, and one more dribble, get into the lane. We got the opposite corner. We got the bounce to the big. I didn't know those things. I was just like, turn the corner. If he ain't there, get to the bucket. Like, yeah. if he there, pass it. You know what I'm saying? But I think he slowed the game down for me and did a lot of things to help me. So I think he's a phenomenal coach. Um, I bet we did butt heads. But when he came, we won. T- I mean, we won two chips and we played in four or five straight finals because of him. Yeah, I was I was the same way when when because he brought me to Cheska, and you know, at first it was like more or less like because you know he's. I heard stories about him, so I was like, I wasn't intimidated, but I kind of already knew what to expect. But the thing that got me was like, like he's literally like almost like a professor of the game. Like he made me see the game and 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 read the game differently than I ever seen it before. It was like you know me, you know, being the I was like you know get the ball if I got an opportunity to go. I'm gonna beat my man. I'm just gonna go. But he was like, nah, if you do it this way, if you drive off his hip, if you come here, or if you post up here, or if you set the pick this way, you roll this way. I've never seen it that way, but like my the one year I spent with him, like, he made me like a completely different player. And it was like so much here. Like I understand why, why he's so hard because he's hard for a reason. Because like he really I think he cares about the game, he cares about his players, and he he can sometimes see your potential before you can even see it. I totally agree with that. That's why you still there. He's seen your potential before anybody else did. I'm with <laughs> you, brother. I ain't gonna tell you no lies. <laughs> You got to talk about that that EuroLeague championship, man. Winning that championship and being able to, uh, you know, the way y'all celebrated and everything else. Just talk about all that. Um, it's probably a little different maybe for Trajan and Messina because it was their first year there with us. But yeah. for me, it was like the monkey off my back, man. Like, you get there three straight years and you lose the way we did with talented teams and all that. To be on a team that's not that as, ta- as talented but focused and together, it was like a weight lifted off for me. Like I played a lot better in the semis because I feel like that's the pressure game, right? Like that's the, that's the hardest game to play. The finals is the easy game. Like, like this is it. But that semi, man, like 
that game is so hard to play because if you lose, like, it's over. Like, what happens tomorrow doesn't even matter to anyone. Um, so just getting that monkey off our back and getting to the finals was part of it. But then winning the finals and then against a, a good team, like Maccabi had, they were up here back then. They had Anthony Parker. They had Macy Obaskin. They had Nicola Vucic. They had Will Solomon. Like they had a team and it was like, if we know if we can beat them, we the best team in Europe. And so that combined with just getting the monkey off our back being in four straight years was like a huge, huge win, big celebration. Um, I, I had a great time, man. I, I'm not going to front. That might've been the first time I ever cried. Like, no, the second time I cried at Seska, but that's the first time I cried where I was like crying because I was happy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I cried at Seska my first Final Four in Barcelona because I don't know about y'all, and I know Cal. Tyler, you've never been to a Final Four, so you don't, might not know, but you may have played at a level where this has happened to you. Have you ever ran out of the arena and seen 20,000 people and be like, I can't believe I'm here? Yeah. Like, I couldn't believe I was there. Like, I wasn't crying because I was like, oh, we lost. I was like, man, there's all these people. Like, just came to see me play. Like, that touched me my first year. I had never played in front of that type of all these cameras and not just, like, in a Panathinaikos game, but, like, all these cameras is there from all over the world coming to see a Final Four, and they come to see you. Like, I just, man, it, it, I was in tears, bro. But those were the two times I cried at Seska, man. You just stuck in the moment. Like, you run out, you just, like, you don't really come up, you become a fan for a second. You just, like, around and everything, you gotta almost like catch yourself. I, I felt that like my first like two final four. I was just like, I was like, yo, like I think that's the reason why we won it. But I played terrible my first final four because I was so like wrapped into the atmosphere and the environment that I forgot I was like, you know, it was the, the game was the most important thing. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you though. I do. I feel you, bro. I do. Like it's it's amazing because we don't come from that. I tell people, you go to Duke. You're supposed to be in the Final Four. You go to Michigan, Michigan, like, that's nothing to you. Like, you got cameras in your face, USA day-to-day -day papers, all that, all the time. From where we come from, like, man, you got one one radio station there at the game. You good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we we got to talk about, because I, I always wanted to know how this happened. Now, how, how did you get approached to play for the Russian national team, and, you know, Kind of give you the story behind that because, like, it, it was only it's only you and uh and Becky Hammond, right? Have only been the two two Americans that have you know had that opportunity. So let's talk about that. Like, people think it's an elaborate story. When I tell you this story, you're gonna be like, man, I wasn't even excited. No <laughs> lie. Back, <laughs> back then, you know, the national team used to play in November and like February or something yeah. like that. They had like the ten day things where like the they would play to qualify. So during that time, during those 10 days, we would still be there practicing. So I'm at the, the arena watching the Russian national team play. Kushinka there is my agent is here. Now, mind you, I thought Kushinka was playing, but literally, he, he literally said, man, we need a point guard. Would you play on the national team? I was like, yeah. Seriously, that was it. Word. A year later, he calls me <laughs> at 9 in the morning and says, a year later, not the next day, a year later, he calls me and says, hey, you know what? I thought about what we talked about. There'll be a car to pick you up in an hour to take you to get your passport. <laughs> no lie. <laughs> like, it's not, a, like, I'm telling you, like, I'm not lying. It's not like we was like, this is what we going to do. And, no, he literally was, we were at a game. I'm sitting there with my agent. He's like, what do you, we need a point guard. Would you come in? I was like, yeah, of course. Why not? 
a year later. Don't talk about nothing. A year later, he calls me like, oh, there'll be a car in an hour to pick you up so you can go get your Russian passport. Amen. Bless, bless footsteps, man. <laughs> it's real, man. Like, Kushnick, that, that literally was all, whatever he, his mastermind, that's why I say I owe a lot to Sergey. he was mastermind. He didn't talk me through it. He didn't say, this is how we want to plan it. And then when I got the passport, I walked into his office. He was like, I just got off the phone with Putin. He says, represent the country. He said, but honestly, I want you to focus on Seska. He said, we'll think about it. If you don't want to play, I won't, I won't force you to play, but he was like, what I want you to do is this will help us, because back then you only allowed two Americans on each team. Not mm -hmm. like now, when you had three or four, you only allowed two. So he was like, this will help us, and they were just putting in that Russian rule where you had to have two Russians on the court at all times. Yeah. So it was like, I could help us in the Russian league, but I could also help us in Europe, because I would be playing as a Russian, and we can go get another American. But we, we definitely got to talk about the uh, 07 European Championships. Um, I guess that was your first stint with the Russian national team. You had David as the head coach. Uh, team was led by you, AK-47, Victor Cryopo. Let's talk about that, you know, making it to the championship game and then your Jordan moment in that championship game, getting that game-winning shot, getting that game-winning <laughs> shot. That'll be the one thing I'll take. I'll take my one Jordan moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what's crazy. Everybody only remembers that, but I started playing with them in 2005. Okay. So I played my first year in 2005 in Serbia, and we had lost. We played terrible. And to be honest with you, it was a Russian coach. It was just, it was just, a, it was just a mess. And honestly, being real, and AK-47 will tell you, he was the coach that year. No lie. Like, yeah. he practiced when we wanted to practice. When he said we was doing something, we did something. And that was what it was. And we underachieved. And that first year I played, it was really hard for me because two of the captains – that were older left the team when they realized I was playing in 05. So I didn't even, my intentions wasn't to have nobody leave or nothing. And for the two dudes that were leaving the, to a Russian, the Russian national team to, to say they're, they're retiring or I knew it was because of me. And I knew that like, that wasn't my intention. Like I didn't even ask to play. They asked me to play. So that kind of hurt me a little bit. And I think that kind of affected everybody's play. Cause I, I mean, they, them dudes were friends. Don't act like, them Russian players, they all were together, they're their friends. And now I'm here, it's like, cool, he's not this loud, boisterous guy, but it's like still two of my friends are not here. Yeah. So, yeah, so the, so the first year we struggled. And then 06, Black came, and nobody remembers, you have to qualify to play in the European Championship. Yeah. You don't just go get right in. So in 06, AK, and they didn't play. So Black calls me and is like, yo, I need you to play. And I'm like, after 05, I'm out. I ain't playing. Like, I'm cool. Like, Coach, you cool? I don't know you. Like, I didn't know Coach Black at that time. I knew he was a coach, but, like, I never played for him. I'm like, yeah, that's cool, but I'm, I'm cool. He's like, think about it, man. I really need you. I, I, please play. I trainer who was training at the time, Darius Newsom was like, hey, man, you should play. Like, why not? You scared? And I was like, scared? It's like, I'm not, like, I was, when people just know what buttons to push, he was like, you scared? I was like, scared? I'm on. So I caught Black. I'm coming. We won. We won five games. And mind you, I didn't kind of want to come because I, I was having my first child with my wife at this point, my girlfriend at the time, but my wife. Now, she was pregnant and she was due. And during that time, I'm like, man, I Coach Black, I'm telling you, if I come over and I play, I'm letting you know, like, if she say, I'm out. Like, ain't no. So, mind you, we won the first five games and she caught, like, 
I'm I'm going to the room now. So I left. I didn't even play the last game, and we, we lost. But we were five and one and qualified for the European Championship, and that led to what happened in '07. Okay. Yeah. So with with '07 with Coach Black, man, like he came in, and what I respect about Coach Black is that he didn't come in and say like AK-47, you're over here and everybody over here. He like this is how I'm a coach. Either you with it or you not. So if you don't want to be a part of it, you weren't a part of it last year, cool. But if you want to be a part of it, you got to do it my way. And honestly, took AK's credit, he was like, cool. Like, this is what I want to do. I want to win. And he bought in. And I know y'all can all attest to this being on a team where you don't know what's going on, but you know something magical's happening as the games are going. You just hooping and you like, I don't know why this is happening to us. Like, everything just going your way. That's how that was in 07. Like, even though we had lost to Spain by like 20 earlier in that thing, earlier in the um, tournament, we left there like, oh, we missed some shots. They not that good. Like, we ne- it just seemed like we never lost sight of, yo, we're better than them. And people don't understand. In that preseason, we lost to France by 40. With yeah. Tony Parker, Ronnie Tariyaba, we lost by 40 in France. We was like, yo, we don't want to play them. So when we had them in the quarters, we was like, dang. The only team we didn't want to play, we got to play them. And we went, we played them, we beat them. Um, and everybody was rolling. I ain't going to say it was just me. AK was hooping out of this world. Um, Anton Pankershoff was balling. <laughs> yeah, like, well, yeah, like everybody. I mean, everybody played a big role. Zahar was shooting. Like, a lot of dudes played big during that time. Um, Savashenko ball. Like, we just had a good team, a good mix of guys. Nobody was selfish. Um, no one cared about scoring. I think that's the difference between, like, playing for Sesame and playing for the national team. It's such a small time that you just want to win. Like, you throw numbers and all that out the way because those numbers are not going to affect your salary. Those numbers are not going to affect how people view you. If you win, that's the only thing people care about because you're representing the name that's in front of you, not behind you. When you're playing for Sesame, to a degree, you got to represent the name behind you because if not, they won't pay you. Yeah. It'll be quickly to be like, you know what, I got to get rid of you. Somebody else got to come in and do better. But for the national team, you represent the country, they can't cut you in five games. You got five games, that's it. Or six games, that's it. It's not like a whole season. So that's the one, I think, positive of the national team that helps the team stay together because it's like, yo, we just in this for seven games. Do we really care as long as we win for seven games? And we bought in to what Black was doing and um, getting to that finals. I would say the semis was was the tougher game for the Russians because they, we were playing um, Lithuania, and that rivalry is a little different, as you guys know, like that Russian-Lithuania clash, because they were always better with Sharonis and Linus Klaza and Darius Ngala, the hype was more for them to beat us. So I think the Russians came out more nervous than me, because I was like, I really ain't Russian. Like, that's who? Like, I don't play. Like, I don't care what these dudes are saying in, in your know, language. Like, I don't understand what they're so I feel like I played a lot more relaxed that game and probably played better than a lot of our other players because it was like a more intense game. And then the finals, the, our back was against the wall. Like, we weren't supposed to win. How much pressure is it when you're supposed to lose to the home team? Like, they had Paul and Mark and Calder. They got all these dudes, and you like, okay, we supposed to lose, so cool. Let's just go out and have fun. And Coach Black, to his credit, he coached like he knew we were going to win the game before the game. And I respect that about him. Like, he didn't come in and like, hey, we got to do this and this and this to win. He was like, we're going to do this, this, and this and win. You know how you, before the game, you were putting stuff, you're like, hey, if we do these things, we can win. If you do, he's like, when we do this, we're going to win. 
when we like we didn't leave we didn't go out there like yo if we went we 